Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombas. I am James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are recording in James and Hannah's living room in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks Summer Edition. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone came over to my house the other day to watch a movie called Picnic. Yes. And we had a little picnic. While Cece was in the kitchen preparing foods for another picnic the day later. I ate at a restaurant called Picnic. What? For lunch really? today. Today? Wait, yeah. where, where is this restaurant? The Picnic Provisions oh, and Whiskey. On, on, on Magazine? Magazine. Yeah. I've yes. Passed oh. that a friend messaged me. I'm like, I went to Picnic. Do you want to like have lunch? I'm like, I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> it's too, been too much Picnic on shit. Point. Too is much. it good? It's decent. I liked it. Okay. Was it Picnic Foods? Yeah. Like they serve, you can get like Picnic style foods too oh, cool. like you get like a box of chicken and they put like crab oil in their chicken batter and potato oh, salad nice. i had like a new england like hot dog roll with like seared tuna and jalapenos Ooh, and salt. Yum. did they have blankets out on the floor that you sat on no but like their design is very picnic like oh. picnicky what do they do during the winter i don't know i mean we're do doing, they shut down we're doing this specifically as like a summer episode yeah i don't know that's a good question it's hard to picture that was like that place on broad that sold mostly tomato soups and grilled cheese sandwiches and i was like well i'm not gonna eat that when it's hot outside and they that's just true. failed within a couple of years yeah. oh they've the been around cheesy? yeah oh, oh yeah we tried to give that place a shot yeah i, I had one I really good meal there when it was cold outside yeah i craved it in no other time and uh, this city gets cold for like what three weeks out of the year. So picnics thriving though. It's no, been there for like ten years, I think. Right. I was just gonna say like actually I I would hate having a picnic in the summer in New Orleans. It would be like most of the year I I want to have a picnic. We were having that summer. conversation at work the other day. Somebody was like, why do why does everyone barbecue during the summer? Like it's hot as hell. Like barbecue yeah. the hottest form of cooking. Yeah, right. exactly. Like, yeah. don't you want to yeah. do that when it's cold outside? That is so like, true. That's a good point. Yeah. I love cooking over an open flame in the summer. God, this has been the most thought-provoking topic. Mm. <laughs> I think talking oh, about the weather in general is like the least interesting thing you could ever do. But it is so ungodly hot outside yeah, that it is. I can't talk or think about anything else anyway. Yeah, I like how it rained for three days straight, and it's like maybe two degrees. Yeah, just barely a reprieve. <laughs> well, what else have y'all been watching besides summer-related content? So I started checking out the AI collection on the Criterion channel, and I started with a film that I have been meaning to watch since it came out and have never gotten around to, and that is Her directed by Spike Jones in 2013. Uh, so, I mean, I, I feel like most people know of this movie. Joaquin Phoenix is this uh, writer for a handwritten letter company. So people, he writes beautiful handwritten letters to people for other people. He's kind of like a, who is the Cyrano de Bergerac? Isn't that a play where like someone's writing love letters right. in your voice to make you look cooler? Yeah. But then you fall in love with the person you're writing letters for. Yeah. So that that's that's kind of what his role is. Um, and then he uh, downloads this operating system. Uh, oh, he's going through a divorce, so he's very lonely. He downloads this operating system that is um, driven by AI, and he uh, falls in love with and starts a relationship with this AI. So I love science fiction. I'm also very sentimental. I love a good romance. But I don't know if y'all, I assume most of y'all have probably seen this. I just like 
there was something about this that did not work for me. And I feel like maybe I'm just kind of curmudgeonly, but I, I guess the the thing is that the romance between him and the uh, operating system, who's voiced by Scarlett Johansson, it was a big deal when it came out. People were like, oh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is fucking a computer. But it feels like a very, like kind of a traditional heterosexual relationship. I don't know. It's like they go out and explore the world together and he gets like really upset once she starts kind of like transcending the role of like a monogamous partner and i i don't know i was just like a little disappointed by it it was it was very pretty it was you know it was really beautiful but there was just something about it that kind of like didn't totally work for me and i was i was really bummed out cuz i feel like this is generally my shit and i couldn't really pin down what it was that yeah it's not that for. different from like the marjorie prime style of like sci-fi yeah. writing where it's people kind of talking out these big ideas yeah but i kind of agree with you like this came out probably a decade ago so yeah. it's been a long time since mm-hmm. i've seen it but i associate it with a certain kind of like hipster tech bro that like lives somewhere on the west coast and like actually believes in like the Steve Jobs Apple branding of the future yeah. in a way that like I never did. Yeah. And so there's this kind of hopeful and romantic tone to it that's never really undercut. And yeah. even just the way he dresses and the sort of like sad boy romanticism of their relationship, like just really reminds me of like hipster tech bro bullshit in a way that right. like turns me off. Yeah, it's like Silicon Valley twee. Yes. And it, re- <laughs> it yeah, it like really didn't work for me. And then also he's like, ex-wife is Rooney Mara he has this date with Olivia Wilde who is like wildly infatuated with him he has like a thing with Amy Adams I don't know I just like I was like man you're I know that everybody is lonely but you're you really are doing okay like I don't know that you need to be in the I I understand that it was like very a very comforting movie to a lot of people and you know it it is very sweet but yeah it's just like something about the aesthetic didn't really work for me and the whole love story was it wasn't all that interesting to me yeah it didn't really mean much to me but it feels like kind of like a boyhood style movie where it's like very formative experience for yeah, a lot of totally. people our age yeah and like it shows up on a lot of people's like top 10 of all time lists yeah so like those are two movies i think about way more often than i would have if no one else cared about right. them like they just keep coming up as like great works of art and yeah like, there was really nothing in that for me yeah i feel like maybe if i had seen this when it came out i would have been like blown away by it but but yeah seeing it now i was like i I don't know. This is not really doing a lot for me. I think Marjorie Prime, the thing I loved about that was, you know, the very ending actually goes into like these interesting echoes of humanity, like what what these AI will be doing after we're gone in a way that was like really interesting to me. I think you would like Artifice Girl that we saw oh, uh, yeah? Overlook this year. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check it out. But yeah, I don't know. It was <laughs> some catch up that, that didn't go well for me. But it was fine. I still enjoyed it. Um, Brittany, what have you been watching? So we were just talking about Lifetime a little bit earlier. Lifetime has done in like the past, like maybe, I don't know, three, four years, all these really cool VC Andrews adaptations. And I've been like devouring them all. And the most recent one that I've watched, there's like three movies to the Heaven series so I don't know if y'all have ever read like V.C. Andrews novels. 
Is she flowers in the attic? Yeah. Okay. Oh. And like my sweet Audrina. So really trashy stuff. Yeah. Insanely trashy. Okay. <laughs> so she had this series where I think, I don't know how many books there were um, about heaven. So heaven was this young girl who um, like lived in like this, you know, mountain town, very, very poor, um, had this like abusive life. And the first movie that Lifetime did is called Heaven in 2019. So Heaven's mom died while giving birth to her. And her dad kind of shoes her away to go and live with his ex-girlfriend named Kitty and her new husband named Hal. So they take Heaven like under their wing and she's like their adoptive daughter. But like Kitty is like this alcoholic who's like super crazy and... She'll be like, you're not clean enough. And she'll like put her in like a steaming bath and like get a Brillo pad out. Mm -hmm. Like mommy dearest, like mommy dearest style. And then Hal is like her adoptive father. And then Hal is like, I'm going to be your protector. And then they start boning. Why wasn't the movie called Heaven and Hal? (laughs) (laughs) Seems like lost opportunity. That's that's the good stuff people tune in for. (laughs) So then Kitty starts to die of like cancer and then her and Hal are like you know this is us we could do this like it's sort of like heaven is young so like obviously this is like a predatory relationship but the way that lifetime did it it's like it's her sexual awakening <laughs> with her adoptive father it's so bizarre but she gets this letter from her grandma her so her her dead mother's mom her grandma who's like freaking loaded and it's like, we want you to come and stay with us. So then she gets on a train and that movie ends. And then the next movie is Dark Angel, where she goes and sees her grandmother and her step granddaddy, who is younger than the grandma, played by Jason Priestley. <laughs> oh, and boy. he has a brother who's this like really depressed creative soul. And she is like in this you know, living amongst the rich and trying to get used to, and they're like getting her nice clothes and things like that. And this is like 70s, 60s, as far as time goes. And then she starts to like fall for her step granddaddy's brother. But then we (laughs) find out that her step granddaddy is her real dad. Oh my God. And Uh. he slept with his stepdaughter, who was her mother, got her pregnant. So then she's like, so you mean to tell me, yes, he's your uncle, your blood uncle. So she has like her step granddaddy, daddy, and then uncle lover. And just FYI, every VC Andrews book series, and there's like tons of them. It's all this shit. (laughs) So he kills himself because of everything that's going on. And then Heaven's High School Sweetheart and her meet up. And then they start to get together, and that leads into Fallen Hearts, which is the final <laughs> film. <laughs> so in Fallen Hearts, she's a little older, she's a little more distinguished. She's like she's always been very smart. She's very smart, intelligent, and she marries Logan. So she also has this. <laughs> her her father rekindles his relationship with his other four children, and they form a circus family. <laughs> and then <laughs> she dresses up as like her dead mother. To freak her dad out because she's so pissed that he like did all this and like ignored her. And then he's like, oh my God, is that you? And then he's putting a lion in a cage. And while he's mesmerized, the lion kills her, like mauls her clown brother. (laughs) 
Um, so, um, she has that guilt. And then her other sister was a prostitute who got impregnated by a preacher and the preacher and his wife kept the baby. You follow me, right? Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so then she's like, I want you now that you're rich, heaven to go buy my baby back. And then she goes and she's like, no, like they're actually taking care of your baby. Like you don't have your life together. You shouldn't have a baby. And then her sister finds out that happens. So her sister's like, I'm going to seduce your husband and get pregnant by him. Whoa. And that's what happens in um, Fallen Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just one of the many ser- series uh, of films that Lifetime's done. What's the title of the series like, as a whole? It's like the Ste- her last name's Ste- Steel, I think. It's whatever her last name is. Stealing Heaven. Oh, my God. But it's just the Heaven series. Okay. Yeah. Heaven. <laughs> Um, so that's what I've been watching. It's wow, so good. Wow. So I'm Amazing. like totally going to buy the Lifetime Movie Network thing because there's also Ruby. They have like a good, I've only seen like bits and pieces, but it's sort of like that, but in the swamp. Oh my God. Remember that blog I found when we did those Denise Richards movies that was like, it was a guy who only reviews Lifetime films and he gives them like, he, he reviews them out of like zero to five glasses of wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I would give incredible. this like four and a half glasses. Hell it was yeah. very good. <laughs> um, so that's been consuming my life. So, well, Brandon, what have you been watching? Uh, I watched a new film that premiered at Cannes last year. I've been waiting for it to come out and it is now on the Criterion channel. It's called Willow of the Wisp. Mm. Uh, it's about 67 minutes and it's, an art film that's like borderline incomprehensible, <laughs> but I really liked it. It's a Portuguese movie about this prince that we first meet in 2069 on his deathbed. And his family's kind of preparing him to go into like full hospice mode. Like they're about to like put him in the ground and he's wistfully looking at this child's toy fire truck. Uh, like his like little nephew's playing with a fire truck and he's like whispering the fireman's name to himself. Hmm. And then we cut back to, kind of present day and this Portuguese prince gives up his royal title to become a fireman temporarily. Uh, he stands up in the middle of this dinner with his family and quotes the Greta Thornburg, like how dare you speech at length, like off his smartphone and then walks away from royalty, joins the fire force and starts making love to the fireman who trains him. And if you remember, like, the gay dance party stuff from Tatan, mm, yes. this is, like, almost a parody of that because it's a full-blown musical where these firemen are actually just fucking each other. <laughs> like, it becomes, like, gay pornography musical for, like, the middle stretch of the movie. And this romance between this, like, actual fireman and this prince who's kind of playing fireman temporarily. And then uh, eventually the royalty calls him back to where we saw him at the start of the movie, which is, like, back in the palace. And it's this like kind of academic provocation about people who are actually physically combating climate change and like putting out fires all over the world as, you know, everything's heating up outside. And there's just like, I mean, recently, like what was it, like Chicago, New York, you couldn't breathe the air because yeah. the wildfires the in Canada were like pushing down here. So it was like he's watching all these like fires spread across Spain and Portugal on the news and is like, I need to go do something. And the royalty in the palace is not doing anything like they have the actual power to combat climate change. Instead, they just do these sort of like gestures that mean nothing. So then he, he goes and like actually commits his time and effort to doing this stuff. 
and then becomes ineffectual again when when he rejoins the royalty. I just made this sound so straightforward. Like the movie is like really abstract. <laughs> there's a lot of song and dances. It's very ironic. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of like provocative race theory in there where like the prince is white and the fireman who trains him is black and they like say really fucked up stuff to each other when they're like having sex that like is kind of like race play kink stuff but has this academic tinge to it and there are whole scenes in here where it's like i don't even know what these people are talking about like (laughs) like, i'm not smart enough to follow along but i don't know for like a 67 minute movie it was just a whole lot of everything and uh It was also John Waters approved. It was on his top 10 list last year, which is probably why I heard of it in the first place. Yeah. Check it out. If you have the Criterion channel, it'll take an hour of your time and give you a lot to think about. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been watching, James? Well, since we're doing our summer, it's hot as hell outside episode. I revisited a film that I think I saw. I actually don't know if I saw it or not, but it's falling down from 1993 uh, directed by Joel Schumacher, starring Michael Douglas. And I don't think I ever actually saw it. The only thing I remember and the thing that became really big in like pop culture at the time was the scene where he's at the McDonald's and they tell him he can't have breakfast because it's five minutes past the cutoff and he shoots his machine gun. And I, I think at the time, a lot of people were like, yeah, that that's right, because that's bullshit, you know? <laughs> I was like, okay, that... So I was curious to revisit it <laughs> And see if, like, kind of the politics of it, you know, were problematic or not. Because it is essentially just this white middle class guy who is angry. Uh, His wife and daughter have left him. And it's set in L.A. And this is like a year after the L.A. riots. So there's a lot of, like, racial tension. And the film itself just looks hot. Everyone Mm -hmm. is, like, drenched in a layer of sweat. And also the color of it too it's just like you can just feel it's like a hundred degrees and it has that kind of like heat ripple visual effect where you're looking through like like heat or steam and it's just everything is kind of like warbling like that's kind of how the whole movie looks yeah and like the thing that kind of sets him off is his car just gets stuck in traffic and hannah will tell you one of (laughs) The things that I hate about the modern world is sitting in gridlock traffic. And so he's like sitting in the traffic, the sweltering heat, and he just says, fuck it. He just turns his car off and just starts walking. And the whole movie is saying like, you know, I got to, I just trying to get home. But meanwhile, his wife and daughter want nothing to do with him because he's a lunatic. And the movie, I think, makes it pretty clear like this guy is not a hero. The audience has taken that in a different direction. Like, I feel like conservatives have embraced this movie in a way that's very odd, but they've like kind of become this guy more and more since the movie came out. And that's the part I found really interesting is the most interesting scene in the movie is he actually like links up with this guy who turns out to be an actual Nazi. And he basically is like, well, I'm not you. Like you're a bad guy. Like I'm just a guy trying to get home. And he ends up like killing the guy. And I think some of that is still going on in conservative politics where it's like, oh, we're not the proud boys or the actual like neo-Nazis. We're just like angry about the state of the country. And it's like, well, y'all are kind of like linked at the hip a little bit. I found that very interesting because the movie is very good. It makes it very clear like this guy is no good. Yeah. And I just thought it was a really biting 
political satire kind of thing. And it's, um, it still resonates today. And I, again, I was going to pick this for our summer episode cause it just, it feels so sweaty. It's like one of the sweatiest movies I've ever seen. So I, I really enjoyed it. I was thinking that during will of the wisp too, like I'm watching the world burn and all these fires and stuff. Like this would have been a good pick as well. Yeah. And it just those petty little things like the traffic yeah. stuff, the McDonald's, you can't get what you want. Cause it's out of stock. These like little things that pile up day to day and then you just snap. I think it really captured how annoying living in the modern world can feel sometimes. Yeah, like you were talking about whether or not he's supposed to be a sympathetic character. And I think that I don't think that he's supposed to be absolutely a bad guy. It's like we're supposed to understand his emotional reactions like even though they're disproportionate to what's happening but i think we are also aware that he is taking all of these inconveniences that happen to everybody extremely personally and acting upon them in in ways that are violent and it's like like he has this feeling of i'm losing my home and all of like the world is changing around me in ways that i don't like and also like all of these obstacles are keeping me from getting home. And like, there's like a sense of entitlement where like my life isn't supposed to be this way and taking it upon yourself to change that where it's like all of us are in this boat of like the world being horrifying and horrific. And that is the attitude that a lot of people still have today. Picturing those like Costco meltdowns, like early pandemic where people were like, wouldn't wear their mask and like assaulting like these like minimum wage workers that fucking like Trader Joe's. This is totally misplaced anger. Like this is not, who you should be taking this out on. Doesn't he like shoot up a convenience store? Cause the guy wouldn't like give him he, take he, a penny, leave a penny or something. He like, that? like he destroys the inventory. He's yeah. trying to make a phone call. And so he's trying to get change. And then he like, he tries to buy something, but he like can't get the right change. Like it's too expensive for yeah. him to get what he needs. And then he just like destroys everything with a baseball bat. I mean, I am kind of like scared of modern conservatives sometimes. Like, yeah, Telling someone to shush at a movie theater might get me shot. Like, yeah, right. You know, totally. There's like an explosive anger. I'm and his of- like yeah. the flat top haircut and his like short sleeve white dress shirt. It's I don't know. It's kind yeah. of an iconic distillation of that yeah. type of person. But uh, the other interesting thing is like he kind of levels up throughout in a weird like kind of video game way where like. You know, first he doesn't have a weapon, then he has a baseball bat, then he has a knife, and then eventually he gets a gun. And a rocket launcher, right? Yeah. Yes. And a rocket. <laughs> so it's just like this leveling up of weaponry was kind of like ridiculous. And uh, I, I, re- I really enjoyed this one. It's worth a watch, especially when it's 110 degrees outside. <laughs> yeah. Well, the summer heat will continue because that is the topic <laughs> of this episode. Brittany wanted us to watch movies that evoked sweating outside in the summer heat so we can talk about what we feel every day yes (laughs) it's very apt to how things have been lately (laughs) and all that's coming up to you right right now now. you're a fake you're no jive kid you're just scared to act your age buy yourself a mirror sometime and take a look in it won't be many years now before you're counting the gray hairs have you got any left and what'll become of you then You'll end your life in the gutter and it'll serve you right. Because the gutter's where you came from and the gutter's where you belong. Like Brandon mentioned, we're going to be talking about hot, hot, sweaty summer movies. 
and the hottest, only sweaty for one character movie <laughs> that came to mind for me is Picnic from 1955. I'm going to be honest. I just wanted an excuse for everybody to watch this. Mm-hmm. So I like made the theme from the movie because <laughs> this movie is batshit and everyone should watch it. It was directed by Josh Logan. He also directed the original stage production of this film. And it makes sense that this movie was a play. Like it has that play feel where everything happens in one day and in like not too many different settings all in the same town. And he also won a Pulitzer Prize because he co-wrote South Pacific. Oh. So very talented gentleman directing this insanely great movie. (laughs) I don't know how to categorize it like the way that you know all these websites are categorizing this film it's like putting it in the rom-com genre there's like a lot of funny things that happen but they're not like purposefully i think funny. it's more like a melodrama like a like a woman's yeah, picture totally. peyton place summer place right to me this is like closer to like peyton place than like a marilyn monroe rom-com right you it's know just what i mean trashier than peyton place exactly yes so there is a a handsome drifter named Hal who shows up in this small town in Kansas, played by William Holden, who's 37 years old in this movie. But his character is meant to be like in his mid to late 20s. So that already is crazy. He kind of stumbles into town on a freight train because he wants to find his old college buddy and get a job from him because he's kind of down on his luck, doesn't really have anything going for him. So why not? And as he stumbles into this small Kansas town, his shirt just melts off within (laughs) the first like five minutes. And that's a a continuing thing is, you know, how can we get the shirt off of Hal? People keep giving him more shirts and they keep getting destroyed. They they give it to him and they're gone just as fast as they go on his body. So, (laughs) He's he's all dirty and mussied up, and he's walking through um, one of the little neighborhoods, and this very sweet old lady, um, Helen Potts, who lives with her, her mother and is her mother's caregiver, kind of sees him walking. They start talking, and he offers to do some yard work for her so that he can make a couple extra bucks, and she just wants to clean his shirt, making him shirtless again, and she wants to feed him, so... While she's washing his shirt, he's outside, like, burning shit in a big, like, can. Yeah, like a big oil barrel. Yeah, a big oil barrel, just burning crap. Classic and- summer activity, standing yeah. around an oil barrel fire. <laughs> With a big spoon. <laughs> and the oil barrel, it's so funny because, like, it's at the right length of, like, like right before where his pants start. So he just looks naked, totally, mm-hmm. while he's, like, burning shit. Um... Next door to Miss Potts is a family uh, with a mother and her two daughters, uh, Madge and Millie. Madge is the pretty daughter with this horrible hair, which she's played by Kim Novak. And Kim Novak has, she's known for her like platinum blonde hair, but she was um, supposed to like portray a younger character. So they dyed her hair this strawberry reddish blonde. So she looks a little bit younger. And it must have ruined her hair. It's like fried to like yeah. where it's just, she, <laughs> there's no way she came back from this. And then Millie is her younger sister. And Millie is very independent. She's very smart. Like Millie's the girl that's going to go to college. Madge is the girl that's going to work at the five and dime until someone marries her. It's kind of like how they're separating these two sisters. 
And living with them is the star of the show, is Rosemary. She's a school teacher. She's renting a room in the home of this family. And she's like rubbing cold cream on her face. And she walks out. And she's like under a tree and she's like just like slathering this cream all over her face. And she sees uh, Hal without his shirt. And then she's like, you know, mesmerized. Like the tone changes and like everyone is just, you know, before you know it, the daughter, the mother, Rosemary, Amos Potts are all around him while he's shirtless. And they just look like they're drooling. Like everyone is so horny for this guy. And it starts here. So Madge ends up being the girlfriend of the sort of wealthy family in town son who is Hal's old college buddy. They own like this grain factory and he goes and finds him. They they talk, they do all this weird frat boy shit. And Hal was almost an all-American, so the father of this rich family is very interested in him as well. So they tour the wheat factory and then Hal is basically like, Hey, can I get a gig? Can I get like an office with a secretary and this and that? And he's like, no, you're going to like scoop wheat. You have to start from the bottom. Cause I worked in the bottom for a month. Then this is where it all begins. Hal is invited to the labor day picnic. <laughs> this fucking town lives for this this Labor Day picnic that is like on par with a county fair. It is the most intense, extreme picnic I've ever witnessed in my life. And at the picnic, they queen the Niwala Fest Queen, <laughs> which is Halloween spelled backwards. So it's the Labor Day picnic and the crowning of the Halloween Queen, which oh, everyone's hoping that Madge gets it. So Madge is like getting fitted for her dress at this picnic. Millie goes to the picnic and Hal is sort of Millie's date at the picnic, which I don't know. He keeps calling her kid, but like there's that weird tension. I don't know. She has like a crush on him, but he's acting not very as boyish around yeah, her. It's yeah. It's not very much like older brother energy. Yeah, Like he doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's putting out any like sexual vibes towards her. Right. It's like he got sat at the kid's table because he like right. showed up uninvited to yeah. like Thanksgiving dinner or something. And, and he also kind of has, he's less mature than Millie is. Yes. So he's kind oh, yeah. of like a kid anyway. So they just get along because like, even though she, like, she's not super emotionally mature yet. So they're, they're just, just kind of like, yeah, other. they're goofing together. Goofing together. Goofing around together. Um, but Hal and Madge sort of have this connection. And he, yeah, the only person he really shows like a liking towards is Madge. Like, but everyone else wants him. Even the men kind of like. Even the men. Even yeah, Howard's totally. super attracted to him. Everybody. Yeah. So they're at the picnic and then he's kind of, I don't know, like, he seemed drunk to me where he starts like bragging about himself, like walking around with these boots and like flopping his legs all over the place and like making up shit that you're like, that's totally a lie. Like, Hey, yeah, one time I was in Los Angeles and I was a movie star and oh yeah, I used to model too. And it's like, what dude? Yeah. Like, totally, totally just insecure. Yeah. Yes. It's almost like a manic episode too. <laughs> like he's just like r- jumping around and then he's like, Goes over to a swing and climbs up really quick and then climbs (laughs) down. He's like, woo, okay. Yeah, let's get this man to sit down. (laughs) Um, But, like, everyone's sort of vibing with it. Like, they... The thing is, everyone watch him in silence. They, like, watch him in silence, but, like, their face is very, like... Ooh, oh, okay. Okay, yeah, he did that. And Madge gets 
crowned the Niwala queen. Thank God. But there's this, there's a scene in the movie that happens at this picnic that I think like encompasses like everything that's awesome about this movie. It's the most fucking melodramatic shit you ever saw in your life where Rosemary and Howard. So Howard is Rosemary's like, they're friendly and he's wasted she's getting wasted with him so rosemary and howard are totally drunk and millie starts drinking but hal doesn't see millie drinking because he's too busy making eyes at madge and they're all dancing on this pier and rosemary starts getting drunker and drunker and she starts to sort of throw herself at hal and he starts to get uncomfortable howard doesn't give a shit because like he's not really into her either and she <laughs> rips his shirt because she's like, come on, ride him, cowboy. Come on, come on. Dance with me. Dance with me. And he pulls himself away from her. And then like she rips his shirt. And then she feels foolish in that moment. And she has this like great monologue where she like ends it with like, you're from the gutter and the gutter is where you belong, which is so good. Yeah. It seems like she's embarrassed that she's, swooning after this guy and getting no reaction yeah. and then she just totally turns it around on him like yes. you're pathetic like she's taking he let out- Millie get drunk yeah it's <laughs> like she's taking out all of her embarrassment on him and she's not wrong in some of her estimations of it but right. she's very cruel to him she went like full-on like feral on this guy yeah. though like well she it started where they were talking about like ladies legs and she's like "Ooh, look at my legs and she's like kicking her legs up and then she pulls up howard's pants and then she's like now you and right. she's like come on she's like let's see him let's see those legs and she's like try to pull hal's pants up and he's like no stop and then she throws herself at him and then she's like pulling his back and it's like i've dated younger men before and this is what an older woman can do for you and then that's when like the shirt rip happens and it's it's insane like it just she goes from like zero to like 600 that's why you hire you know rosalind russell of all people like she, they brought in a heavy hitter for that so meltdown good. Yeah. and she like i'm just so used to seeing her in like comical roles where mm-hmm. she's like funny and she's hilarious in here but kind of for the wrong reasons like her i don't know she's funny in a campy way it's that brash uh <laughs> late period betty davis uh energy yes. you know yes brain drunk kind of like causing chaos when it's really not called for right so after that everyone's pit well the mother of Madge Millie is pissed as shit because Millie's drunk. Hal is sort of embarrassed by everything. And it's like in that moment, there's this, it's kind of like, yeah, dude, everyone knows you're not the shit. And he runs away, goes to return the car he's borrowed to his friend. And the friend is like, well, you've been making eyes at Madge, my girl. So he has the cops there trying to pretend like, you know, oh, he stole the car. So then he steals the car that he was accused of stealing and finds Madge. And they have this like very, I think it's implicated that they totally bang it out. And by the train tracks, by the train tracks, classic mm, on the dirt. Got those vibrations, baby. Exactly. <laughs> and then she sneaks back into the house and then her and, and Millie are sort of like crying Millie. Cause she's embarrassed by like what happened with her and like Madge, because like she's madly in love with this man that she's known for a couple of hours then the next day happens and the big thing for the next day is what will Hal do? Like, where is he at in all this? Has he left? And then more so, what about Rosemary? So Rosemary was like, Howard, if you come tomorrow, I know that you want to marry me and we're going to get married. 
And Howard, after Hal runs off, he stays at Howard's like apartment or his house. And Howard's like, yeah, I'm not ready to marry her. I'm going to go tell her tomorrow morning. <laughs> and um, he arrives in the morning and then all these women are there. And she's like, oh, my God, he's here. We're totally getting married. And he's like, uh, I was, you know, he was going there to be like, I don't want to do this. So anyway, it's sort of this like forced marriage situation that is wild as shit. And Hal's hiding out in the car and he wants Madge to run away with him. And then Madge's mother finds her with her suitcase and is like, yeah, don't do this. You know, this doesn't make fucking sense. And Madge is like, okay, like maybe I won't follow him. And then he goes on a train and then she is talking with Millie in her bedroom. And Millie's like, just do it, Madge. Like, live your dreams. Like one of those like really horrible talks. Like this is a, the worst decision this really person can make. Really bad life advice. Yeah. But yeah, so then she gets on a bus and so we're the assumption is is the bus and the train will somehow meet and Madge will be with Hal. So that's pretty much Picnic. So what do y'all think of Picnic? I had a good time with it. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. Yeah, I thought it was a I think one of the themes of this episode is gonna be like deep horniness. Like yes. summer hot yes. heat, horny people. You were talking about his manic behavior. Yeah. I was just thinking like all these movies, like the heat drives yeah. people's mm-hmm. passions to this like manic states in right. each one of these movies they don't understand what they're doing right it must have been the heat but yeah everyone is horny yeah. for this guy <laughs> yeah i think the one thing i wanted was like i love movies where people are hot and horny and it really explodes into something like deeply upsetting or and i feel like the end like this movie resolved itself more or less happily even though i d- i feel like people are making terrible decisions horrible i don't know <laughs> i guess i did i it wasn't clear to me what the movie's perspective on like madge and um how how yeah so i think i i wanted like like this movie was bananas i think i wanted one more level of of banana but I thought it was like super enjoyable, like really gorgeous, like Technicolor. It was in CinemaScope, like really rich and lush and hot and just a whole lot of fun and pretty racy, I think, for the time. There's this, speaking of like how racy it is, all the sexual innuendos like off the wall. And there's even a scene where like Rosalind Russell's like just staring at his crotch. Yeah, yeah. The totally. framing is like her sitting smiling, down and him standing up and just like yeah, she's just like eye level with his dick. Yeah, directly looking at it and smiling. There's a sequence <laughs> where the boys shower and the girls shower are separated by uh, like a stage wall, yeah. and they're both talking about sex without really directly doing so. That's yeah. very like racy. And Millie tries to peek, and he's like, "You're gonna get a whole lesson if you look yeah. over here." Hal <laughs> also like refers to himself as a beefcake drifter, and like, yeah. tells the story about this like threesome that went haywire along his travels. And they establish that stuff so early that like everything feels like innuendo later. Like uh, the highlight sequence of the picnic involves a lot of like community games. It's a really bizarre ritual. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's just like, uh, you know, the woman carrying contest, right. and it's women being carried on men's shoulders in this like race. But then you start thinking of stuff as being more sexual than it is, like the three legged race or like the pie eating contest, or and then where like men have their like they're on their knees with their yes, yes like, the hands train seal dominatrix that was, contest that was hot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even the display of the watermelons. Like, there's this scene where like the entire cinemascope yeah. frame is filled with watermelons. It's very sensual. I'm with Hannah though. I was expecting something a lot more sinister yeah. from this. Like 
this like stranger comes to town setup where this guy's acting very boyish, but is obviously really desperate because he's like too old to be acting this way and has kind of burned all of his bridges in the last person in the world that likes him is his old college roommate and he's gonna go try mm-hmm. to get a job with him well i think him being the actor being 37 when he's supposed to play mid-20s made it even right sadder <laughs> right. and more right. pathetic it's right. like it was kind of like he's kind of a con man and it was almost <laughs> like he was conning when he was in college of like i'm way too old to be like your peer right now even though like in the film he's they're the same mm, age right. you know it was it's, it was like steve buscemi like at the school, you know, with like Hello, a fellow kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So things turn, though, I think, when that Rosalind Russell speech hits. Yeah. Because this is like right after Hal had his moment with Kim Novak, where they like exchange yeah. glances and like there's a lot of sexual leering and like flirtation back and forth with everyone in him. But when they quiet down and like the world kind of stops and they have a moment dancing together or when he just like looks at her and says like, hi. On the like, swing. Hi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have like a genuine moment and then Rosalind Russell just unloads on him, even though he's done nothing wrong. And I feel like that's when I realized like, oh, this guy's not going to do anything fucked up. Like the movie's not about him. It's like the only crime he's committed is being kind of a himbo doofus and being so attractive. And it's like being this object of desire where everyone wants his attention and wants his, you know, physical contact that's the crime. It's yes. like just being too hot in a town like, of people. He who- tempts everyone. Right. Well, and that, yeah. And he, he's like Without disrupting this very tight knit sort of family and kind yeah. of showing the cracks in it. So yeah, it's not really his story, right. which feels gender flipped with how things usually are. Like usually it's like a woman gets blamed right. for being a temptress yeah. and like, you know, a femme fatale for like being too hot in the world. Like it's kind of weird to be- have this like, himbo sympathetic morality tale (laughs) even though he does ruin lives in his own way because he has no plan for the future that's like viable in any way whatsoever that actually also does like it makes a lot of sense that he connects with madge in the way that he does because she has a similar experience of the town it's like everybody refers to her based on her beauty like she is an object of beauty to everybody and she's like sick of not being considered anything else and so they both have this like like they're both hot but also they're tired of just being hot and they can both understand that other people perceive them in ways that don't kind of fully explain themselves she's also still a teenager so like she's kind of mentally on his level a little bit yeah (laughs) totally because he kind of opines a lot about like not having an inner life He's like, I wish I had ideas. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I've been with a girl who read before. Yeah. <laughs> I, he's like impressed with artists for having like, you know, it's like internal thoughts yeah. and like feelings that he he's very surface level. And like, yeah, he is a slab of meat. And that's what gets him in trouble everywhere he goes. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about Burt Lancaster in The Swimmer and like how that is the sinister version of this. And right. Like, totally. He is kind of this playboy who's outgrown the days where that's acceptable for him to sleep with like every woman in this community Mm -hmm. and like the world just turns on him 
the more and more he hits that same pleasure routine over and over and over again. And by the end, it's just like grotesque. That yeah. He's and he's doing just it. Dev- when he finally realizes the devastation yeah. at the very end of the, yeah, that's a great film. This one, you don't turn on the main guy. Like, yeah. You're just kind of like sad for him that there's no place for him in the world. You don't want him to be a factory worker. And, like, yeah. To be hot. Yeah. To just be so hot. That you just so hot and so dumb. Yeah. yeah. It's like a hot loser. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. I actually liked him more and more as the film went on. Yeah. Like at first I thought I was very much thinking of like, this is a, Tennessee Williams story and he is like this shiny beautiful guy but he's gonna really try to fuck people over and and it really was like he he had this like real innocence and just kind of like lost quality that I liked the more it went on like he had no ill intentions towards any of the women you know like he was just kind of trying to find a community and he doesn't know how to do it yeah it's the repression of small town america that gets more grotesque as the movie goes along yeah which gets really bizarre when you get to that picnic sequence i yeah i for me that picnic scene in the middle was like everything yeah absolutely loved like very bizarre and it almost felt like a midsummer. Like, yeah. what are these people doing? What are these rituals? Even the Queen of Halloween thing is like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, you know, we have to May do this queen. for a good harvest, right? You know, yeah, they're all standing and like chanting together. Oh, they raise their <laughs> yeah. arms at her and just like, <laughs> right. yeah, like prayer. Yeah. Our Niwala Queen, <laughs> right? I think I wanted it. I don't know. I think I wanted it to go one step. Be it's like that. Really, is the culmination, and then there's kind of like. Uh, um, refractory period afterwards where things kind of eventually resolve themselves. It turns into like kind of a cheap noir towards yeah. the end where he's like on the run from the cops. And yeah, like- I, didn't, I didn't care for that adding <laughs> right. that in at the end. But I do like the structure of it where it's like stranger comes to town and then you're introduced to the family and then yeah. you feel the tension and the second act is like the big ball or the party or in this case the picnic and then this big explosion of emotion and then the fallout. Like, I don't know. Something felt very classic about that structure. But it's just about a really sweet, hot dummy. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm not mistaken, I read that like Paul Newman like played him in a stage play. I can see that. Oh, cool. And I'm like, yeah. a young, hot Paul Hell Newman yeah. in this would have felt so different. It wouldn't have been as trashy. I feel like William Holden, like just being so out of place in this role made it trashier. But I love it for that. Like, I'm glad that it wasn't, like, a really hot guy. I'm Sam Brock in New Orleans French Quarter, where long lines pack this steamboat dock. This unrelenting heat is steaming the entire city. It's really hot out here. New Orleans could set record highs the next four days with the heat index approaching 120 degrees. I saw someone about two weeks ago had a heat stroke, a lady out here, so it's very hot. Was that scary to see firsthand? Yes, it was. The city's top priority, caring for the most vulnerable, opening at least nine cooling centers and hydration stations. What is the precedent for this kind of a heat wave here? Well, this is unprecedented. Extreme, excessive heats that we've never experienced before. The fierce triple-digit temps even impacting our furry friends who went running for cover and rendering our news crew camera unusable, frying its circuits by mid-morning. I'm going to give a little bit of a behind-the-curtain peek here in that when we pick our topics for these episodes, you know, 
it's very quick. I feel like within like 10 or 15 minutes, we're kind of scrambling mm-hmm. to come up with stuff. Uh, so Brittany brought up Summer Heat and like sweating in cinema. And I was thinking about titles. The, the most obvious one that came to mind was Do the Right Thing because it's about a heat wave. I didn't want to do that. But the next three or four titles were all Tennessee Williams. <laughs> like I was thinking of Suddenly Last Summer, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, A Streetcar Named Desire. Like every title my brain was coming up with was all Tennessee Williams. Uh, so I felt like I had to go there. I picked one I had never seen before called Baby Doll from 1956. It's not that different from Picnic in a way. Like it is just about sweating it out. I do want to say though, I don't. This is not set during the summer. It is. Are you sure? I think it's autumn. They do say next fall. There is a line. Or they talk about this fall and all the leaves are off the trees. Well, first of all, it was shot in Mississippi in the winter. Oh, okay. But I think it's set during the summer. But like winters are summers. If you like, you know what I mean? Like it's just fucking hot all the time. You can tell when they shot it, it was cold (laughs) outside. They shot it in Benoit, Mississippi on location. It is a sweaty movie. Yes, like, it is definitely. Everyone a sweaty is movie. sweating it out, yeah. and I think that's like an intentional part of the production. I'm pretty sure it's set during the summer, though. Okay. Should we fact check? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't should, think it, I don't think it, there is a specific I, I don't line. Think it, yeah, I am like 99 percent like, sure that they're like on this autumn day. I don't know. It, it we're nitpicking here. It, it is a nitpick. Well, I made us watch a summer place for Christmas. <laughs> Because of one fucking scene. So anything goes. Okay. Regardless of the season, (laughs) it is set in the Southern heat and just like how fucking hot it is outside right now. When I think of the South, I think of Tennessee Williams, people sweating. Right. And there's like a horniness to his work that is like sour and upsetting. Yeah. That like, I don't think sex in the summertime is actually like comfortable. Right. (laughs) Especially if you're thinking about the times before air conditioning, like someone like sweating (laughs) on top of you is like not the most attractive feeling. Yeah, it would have to be like zero contact, like only the necessary parts and everything else. I'm as far away from you as possible. Every every time I walk inside the house after going for a walk outside and feeling the AC, I just think like there was hundreds of years where people did not have the reprieve of the air conditioner. And they used to wear like three piece suits out to the corner. Insanity to me. God. So this is, like I said, set in Benoit, Mississippi, shot on location. A lot of locals were in the film as extras besides the main cast, uh, which also Picnic had that as well. It was shot on location in Kansas. During like a tornado too. Oh, wow. Destroyed everything but the set kind of. (laughs) And actually uh, the director, Elliot Kazan, um, shot a noir in New Orleans called Panic in the Streets that had a lot of like locals in it as well. So I think it was like one of the first like hollywood auteurs to do that kind of thing uh don't want to praise him too much even though he made like some of the greatest films ever mm-hmm. because he was also a a rat that uh narked on a bunch of hollywood communists oh, through the house really? of american oh, activities man. committee wow. hearings. no one likes a rat <laughs> yeah so his uh, reputation's a little charred he has like an institutional family too like i know that his family has like continued in yeah his film. his granddaughter i think yeah. is an actress right yeah. now yeah she's in the big sick I believe he was also married to Barbara Loden. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. You're totally right. I remember the documentary about her experience writing Wanda. He's just kind of grumpy in the background all the time. (laughs) The main story is set at this sort of faded mansion. It used to be a plantation that like farmed cotton in the South. So there's a lot of black workers who still work at this cotton gin. 
but the wealth of the slavery period is gone from this town. All of these old white property owners um, have these sort of broken down cotton gins that can't process the actual crops as well as they used to. So the equipment's just sort of failing and these men are just sort of in disrepair and it's like too hot to fix any of this stuff. So like you go around in these houses that are these opulent spaces, but you know, just like floorboards missing the banks, reclaiming furniture from everybody. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of boinin and furniture and stuff like that in the acting. I was like, really thought that was some bank term that I wasn't aware of. And then I realized furniture. Yeah. That's just Hollywood people trying to sound Southern, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's wild. Carl Malden plays a lot of schmucks in noirs and stuff, uh, is the main schmuck in this piece. When he, Seemed like he was going to be set up for life with this cotton gin. He made a deal to marry a teenager. Her father died after the deal was made, but the promise was that she was going to marry him, be set up for life on this like farm that never actually thrived. But she was not going to actually have sex with him and you know consummate the marriage until she turned 20. And in the meantime, she's, she's 19 now when we joined the, the drama, in the meantime, she just is in this suspended state of adolescence. She's a little too old to be acting like a child, but he just babies her, calls her baby doll. She, yeah, sleeps in a crib and yeah. she is sucking on her thumb. The it's first so image we see ever. <laughs> it's bizarre because like the bank has actually reclaimed all of the furniture in the house <laughs> except the crib at one point. So like the only furnished room is her bedroom and it's basically like a child's yeah. nursery everything yeah. but the crib must go right. yeah and that that is what they call it they call it the nursery it's right. not her room That's so sick uh yeah there's some like real exploitation stuff going on here like uh remind me a lot of baby jane and spider mm. baby and just like kind of like it's a hollywood picture that was nominated for oscars and stuff but like it's very trashy uh, and one of the first images is Carol Baker playing this teenager baby doll in her crib, sucking her thumb and sweating and panting in her sleep. And her husband, who she will not have sex with, staring at her through a peephole okay, on yeah, the other side of the wall. Yeah, poking a peephole in the yeah, room. Yeah. So nasty. So I was reading it. The Catholic Church really went after this movie. Yeah, there's for like, like a legion of decency that like yeah. decried it like filth, which I'm sure was probably pretty good for its um, publicity. That sounds anyway. like an honor. Yeah. <laughs> A stranger comes to town, uh, much like in Picnic. Uh, it's this Italian immigrant who um, actually has a working cotton gin and is stealing the business away from all of these like old white money assholes who are just sort of like living on the post-slavery wealth that's like dwindling year in, year out. And uh, very jealous, Carl Malden goes to the stranger's house and burns down his farm equipment. <laughs> and... The thinking was, well, he'll have no choice but to come to my cotton gin to process all of his cotton from his farm, and I'll get money this way, and, you know, I'll be set for life. And it is all, I feel like it's underpinning, like, Baby Doll says, if they take my furniture away, our agreement is done, I'm not having sex with you. Like, so he, part of the reason that he's doing all of this is because he wants to have sex with his wife when she turns 20 tomorrow. Yeah, it's like literally a day away. He's like so yeah. close to finally having sex <laughs> with this teenager that he purchased. Right. Uh, oh, even though she has no interest in him whatsoever. Yeah. There's like this like bratty femdom kink going yeah, on totally. here. Like she's like financially controlling him mm -hmm. in a way that he can't keep up with. Uh, the stranger who arrives 
sort of playing along, like, sure, you can process my cotton. But he's also, like, suspicious that this is the guy who burned down his farm. He's like, your husband is the sweatiest man I know. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's, like, so desperate to have sex with this girl. And um, the stranger makes it look easy. He arrives at the plantation trying to get a confession out of baby doll that her husband is the one that burned down the cotton gin and also seduces her because he's actually charming and like listens to her when she talks and mm-hmm. basically is all the things that Carl Malden isn't. He's <laughs> handsome, you know, he's got a little perv mustache that makes him look like intriguing and foreign and like a Italian. sexy way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just sort of slowly and maliciously and vindictively, he just takes everything Carl Malden has <laughs> left, takes his business has sex with his young wife who he's never had sex with charms the cook uh, who is bad at cooking, but is a woman. So she's like easily charmed by him as well. Aunt Rose. Yeah. She's like Love completely her. incompetent, but she's lovable. Yeah. Unless you're Carl Malden and hate everything except, <laughs> <one>, except <laughs> money. Horrible man. And uh, he even charms all the workers uh, who like hate the white man who owns the farm yeah. uh, and is a like outwardly racist piece of shit. Uh, this Italian guy just kind of works with the people and like meets them on a human level and everyone just sort of like hands over what's left of this, you know, once thriving thing. And it, it's like a very sick, fucked up game that he's playing, but you never really hate him for doing it. Yeah. And this, a lot of the scenes of the movie are the seduction of him slowly seducing baby doll into her crib where they are, you know, <sighs> Like the cat and mouse running around the house shit, like that freaks was me out. straight out of Scooby Doo, where he's right. Yes, yeah, that part he's <laughs> like, like chasing in her <laughs> in the one room, out the other, yeah. and like basically tickling her and treating her like a child playing hide and seek. As he oh calls my god, it. yeah. Uh, but he eventually gets her affections. Uh, he gets her to have sex with him with, I think, a believable amount of consent, and uh, also gets her to confess and like write out uh, on a piece of paper that her husband definitely did the deed. Uh, burning down the farm and uh it just gets really you know sweaty and mean and cruel by the end and it's not really resolved like the the last scene is very much like a stage play thing where it's like they're looking out on the horizon of the future and it's like tomorrow will just be this over again because you know there's no way this can really end unless the farmer shoots the uh stranger uh which has not happened yet uh but might who knows uh i really liked this it was trashy stuff it gave me that sweaty tennessee williams feel i was thinking Mm -hmm. of it's in this very interesting middle ground between prestigious oscar bait kind of like um stage play art and also just like really base level exploitation provocative smut yeah (laughs) yeah there was like some kind of i was getting cuck holding vibes too like everyone in the town does not respect him at all and she sort of gets off on his humiliation and i also loved kind of related to that the black workers who were just chilling on the side and just like hanging out looking at all this shit go down and kind of having a good laugh at it and i i also thought the seduction scene was like at first i felt kind of like whoa this is a little rapey i mean but then it like changed over time was like no she's kind of into it and then by the end it's like i loved when they finally get together in that very next scene she's like totally empowered yeah it's like after having that first orgasm it's like she says i feel cool and relaxed for the first time in my life (laughs) 
because they've been sweating it outside. Uh, they can't get cool water out of the taps. They have to go to the well outside. Gotta go to the well. Kind of like traps her in this hot car that they're just sitting in and like basically drives her into that hot mania we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. on purpose. Like he's like teasing her body yeah. to get her like worked up in the sun so that she just sort of like stops putting up a resistance. And this is like, this is not super ethical you know, tactics yeah. he's doing here, but it is like playfully sexy power dynamics. Yeah, I was like really uncomfortable by how hot <laughs> that scene was when when they're outside. It's like the initial seduction and... I don't know. There's there's definitely like a push and pull. And there there is part of that scene where conceivably he could be like touching her below the camera line. Yeah, the camera gets very close up on yeah. their like uh, basically just their shoulders up or in the frame. Right. And his hand lingers on her throat for a while. And that, yeah. like, that's very kinky. And then his hand disappears below right. the frame. And that actually became very notorious uh, among like audiences yeah. at the time. They were like, oh, he's fondling her. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and the actors were both like, no, it was just very cold outside when we were filming. They had heaters out of the frame <laughs> and we're just heating up our hands. <laughs> it's like, well, whatever you were told on set, right. that doesn't matter. The director was like using that yeah. choreography. Yeah, right. It's like in that moment, you don't just like drop your hand down and let them lay slack at your side. Right. You know, it's like, you know what that movement means. I don't know. I was like blown away by how steamy and like kinky and sexy this movie was. And I I do think I I was less bothered by it because of how awful the Carl character was. Like (laughs) he is so, such a loser, bad dude that like, he's so gross too. When baby is like, flirting with this guy like oh hell yeah leave that guy like totally yeah. i had no qualms about like the infidelity at, but oh, like no, just that. that she is so kind of emotionally Im- right and- like she's literally in a crib you know like very sheltered but it does like as the movie goes on like at the end she is firmly in yes. control of her emotions there are some early indications that she knows more than she's letting on to mm-hmm. like he brings her into town on a convertible and she licks an ice cream cone in the back of the car and like basically draws a crowd yeah watching her fillet this cool treat <laughs> in the hot sun and like she knows what she's doing yeah, really yeah. she knows she's what kind of attention she's getting right. i love too that that shot was framed with an actual child behind her also Licking oh, ice yeah. cream cone i don't know there's something interesting uncomfortable about but yeah. you know also a good contrast because you know no one's right. paying attention to the child. Right. They're watching her and giggling. Yeah. It didn't feel like I kept forgetting that she was actually married, if that makes sense. Like to It's a sham marriage. Right. Right. So it just didn't feel like real. It just felt like some like weird which was what it was, like a business deal that hopefully never gets fulfilled. I hate to break it to you, but like all marriages are kind of business deals. Like oh, there's God. an economic aspect to every single marriage in the world. Yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't like marriage just for like property reasons? Yeah, it still is too. Yeah, but it's it's, it's just easier to live even more so back then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. now you just save more money. But yeah, like that the just the uncomfortableness of like that beginning. There's I don't know like I understand like I don't like want to kink shame or anything like that. But anytime (laughs) like childlike stuff is sexualized, it freaks me out. 
It reminds me of like those like schoolgirl hentai's where it's like I'm seven, I'm gonna make noises like I'm having an orgasm, and it's like fuck no, yeah. And I'm like, it started to feel like that when she was like sucking her thumb. And, oh yeah, that's filthy. and all that. Oh, it freaked me out. But of course, I watched it. I mean, like I said, <laughs> VC Andrews. Hello. And like you said, when he's chasing her around the house and tickling yeah. her, it's like yeah. this is what you would do to a child. Yeah, right. it it gets way better. Like once you push through it, like at the end, like watching her like sort of become right. a woman i guess yeah yeah and i i <laughs> mean better i felt like she is i mean she is 19 like right. she is still childlike and that scene reminded me a little bit of like the equivalent in the picnic of like i i did feel like he was kind of legitimately having fun with her and yeah. chasing yeah. her around you know so it's like but it but it is also sexualized, right? You know, as is complicated. Yeah, that shot of uh, her laying on the ground and giggling while he's like pumping her chest with his yes. foot, like dear God, <laughs> it's like how did you get away with this yeah. stuff? Right? Yeah. When we were watching it, I was like, when was this made again? Like, how did <laughs> this, this happen? This feels naughty by yeah. today's standards. Yeah, <laughs> right. real kink stuff. There's that scene in Picnic where they cut away at the train tracks, and that's the implication that they've had sex. Right. But when we see them later, they're a little disheveled, but they're not in the same right. position. Mm-hmm. Her hair is always a mess, so it's kind of like, did they? In this one, where they have sex <laughs> in the nursery and the scene cuts away when it cuts back he's laying in the crib and her face is buried in his crotch like he slept in the crib but she slept beside him oh that, so maybe like, he the was the position. baby doll for the situation <laughs> like he became the baby and she became the adult i think we, that's very whoa. funny yeah and we we were wondering that as we like after that scene i was like wait that meant they had sex i believe right? so yeah because yeah. there's another scene later where they kind of turn the lights off in like a hallway and there's like a couple minutes that go by and like, did they have sex there yeah. too? They like, were at least making out while <laughs> the husband was on the out. phone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, this isn't super important, but he also says later to the husband, like, I came in and I got, like, basically what he wanted was the signed affidavit. And he says, I didn't do anything else. Like, nothing else happened. Everything else is in your imagination. So then I was like, well, is he is he lying or did they, like... Did they legitimately not have sex, but they're, you know, they're going to, to and then, you to know. To me, her, like, her confidence immediately yeah. after that nursery scene, that is yeah. very clearly, like, yeah, they did. And yeah. she has been yeah. sexually awakened. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. She got the experience she wished John Dealman got, you know? Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, right. my God. <laughs> I guess I want to ask before we move on, now I've cooled down a little bit, because I, I got <laughs> flustered earlier. Is this a summer movie? Like, even if it's not set in summer, okay. does it fit the criteria of what we were looking for it's here? Got a yes. summer attitude. So I think I think you could more generally describe the topic as like movies about heat. Like, mm-hmm. and this is a hot movie. It's got the same. Like you were saying that Tennessee Williams has all of these plays and films about heat and that's very much what he like transmits in everything that he does and i think that i think thematically this film totally fits with everything else just her like lounging around the house and like her slips and her baby doll now right. nightgown yeah which was actually named after this movie like that, the baby doll cut oh, of dress yeah that became like more popular in the 60s like You're kidding me yeah this popularized the yeah awesome. both the cut and the name of it yeah, right. Like the way she dresses, the sweat on everybody, and like the even the ice cream, like yeah. everything is like, yeah, this looks pretty spicy. Yeah, this fits like it's pretty hot. In step, completely in step with the picnic, 
And also with another movie that we'll talk about later. Yeah. I would say squint at the dead winter trees in the background as if uh, it's just been a drought right. and hasn't rained in a yeah, while. Yeah, that was the, I was like, it's, <laughs> either, it's dusty. Right. Yeah. either it's winter or it's so hot. Yeah. That everything died. Yeah, ex- which also is like, I feel like just part of this, like, it's like hot, rotting yeah. decay, which mm. is just great stuff. Yeah. Well, I feel like I picked something very similar to Britney's pick. Um, we did this kind of like domestic heat in America. Hot, trashy, Small Americana. town America, sweating it out. <laughs> yes. Uh, the next two films, are we're going abroad. This is like sweaty <laughs> summer vacations. So the movie I picked is from 2000 called The Beach, directed by Danny Boyle, who did Train Spotting 28 Days Later, and starring uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. This was a couple years after... Uh, Titanic, so he was hot. And uh, so 2000, I would have been in high school. And I remember, I definitely remember this movie coming out. I never saw it, but I know that it was very popular amongst my like age group. And so felt like a good opportunity to finally see it. And because I like Danny Boyle's work and, uh, I think Leonardo DiCaprio is a good actor. So I was I had pretty pretty high hopes for this movie. Leonardo DiCaprio plays an American college student who travels to Bangkok, Thailand to uh see the sights, summer abroad type deal and he's staying in this like really dingy kind of travelers motel and he meets this French couple who he's there's kind of this romance, this like love triangle thing that sort of forms. And he also meets this off the wall, crazy guy who's telling him about this utopia, idyllic beach, you know, just off the mainland. And he actually gives him a map before committing suicide. And so Leo and the two French students decide to go to find this paradise. So in the beginning of the film, the first act kind of reminded me and it has like overt allusions to like apocalypse now and especially those scenes of like an apocalypse now you know in a sweaty hot room with the ceiling fan Mm -hmm. going uh really captured that well and then it kind of turns into this lord of the flies story where they get to this paradise and it's kind of this like hippie commune where this group of stoners kind of share the territory with these drug lords who essentially tell them like hey you're cool to chill here you live your utopian lifestyle where they just smoke pot and play games and have sex and hang out as long as you don't tell anybody about it and invite more people and so on the way of course Leonardo DiCaprio tells these two other guys about this place And then the film kind of focuses on the love story with him and the French uh, student and her boyfriend essentially just is like, well, I want you to be happy and you like him now. And so that conflict is sort of resolved. And then Tilda Swinton plays the head of this commune and (laughs) she has him go back to the island for supplies and have they have sex together and then. There's like a shark attack. Just describing this movie is like episodes episode. And that's ultimately like this movie 
I don't like we can talk about some other there's some batshit moments in this movie that I'm sure we'll talk about later, but overall the whole thing is like one episode after another and it really falls apart hard by by the end but like that build up learning about this island and I do love the cinematography in this I think it looks cool and like the music choices are very like early 2000s feels like early digital but not yeah. quite as harsh as 28 days later which you did after this yeah that's very digital this this has like the choppy frame rate stuff and yeah and it's like he's an exciting visual director and Leonardo DiCaprio, he tries his best. I think this movie made a lot of money because young teen girls were still hot on him for Titanic. And so they came out in droves to see this. But this is like a messy, messy movie. Yeah, it's a little bit of a lot of things. Some of it works, I think, especially towards the beginning. Once he actually gets to the island and it becomes like, okay, we have this love triangle. Then we have, you know, the shark attack where they essentially, because this guy doesn't want to go get medicine on the island, they just kind of kick him off into the jungle to die. Then the guys that he gave the map to show up. There's kind of this war between them and the drug lords. Leonardo DiCaprio kills a CGI shark. That's pretty cool. There's a insane scene where he goes into a video game <laughs> for yeah. a couple of, like... Like, all right, that was interesting. I could see how some people really like this movie uh, or maybe are nostalgic for it, but I just thought it was messy as hell. Uh, but I kind of admired that at least it swung for the fences, I, you know, instead of playing it safe. But I could not really recommend this movie. But I don't know. How did y'all feel Brandon, about the you beach? Look exhausted. I want to go a step further and say it's like one of the worst movies I've seen all year. <laughs> really? I have not seen a worse movie since The Laundromat, maybe, or Oh, d- Blonde, <laughs> right, that's the Whale. Not, that's like not I fucking fair. hated watching this. <laughs> it's it's better than those three movies. I don't think so. There's no part that really was interesting at all to me. Like, really, it starts with the train spotting style narration. Like, he's kind of repeating the trick from that movie. Where he's like doing this like kind of speeding out rants about modern culture and like Americans abroad and like how people travel thousands of miles across the world just to do the same shit they did at home and like how he's not going to be complacent and watch TV in Thailand. He's going to like drink snake's blood and like be adventurous. Right. The movie kind of undercuts him the same way that like fight club has that narration where it's kind of making fun of him for being yeah. well that's how like i a took big it thinker. he's yeah. like a faux philosophical college kid who doesn't know shit but i don't about think the world it challenges him that much as it goes along like he kind of does settle into what he said he hated and like the whole concept of like a beach resort for people who hate beach resorts which is what the island is is not that interesting and like for the movie to work, you would have to view that beach as like a utopia. And to me, it looked like hell, like hanging out with the Dave Matthews band crowd it looked, playing fucking yeah. acoustic Bob Marley covers. It's a cult commune. Like they're all over the place. I cannot imagine being around those people for more than 10 minutes without losing my mind. But yeah. I, I do think for someone, and this is how I thought about it, for someone like him, a faux philosophical likes to do drugs in his like, freshman year at the dorm 
that could seem like a utopia to him. To I mean, to me as an adult, like, no, I don't want to be anywhere near that island. But to him and his character, I could see it. But to your point, his character is not fleshed out in any way. And when we're going on these episodes, we don't really learn anything deeper about him. Stuff just sort of happens. And at the end, I guess he realizes, you know, life is the moments. I don't know. I th- I thought that he was kind of like empty on purpose. Okay. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I, every, I think so. Like this, as this movie went on, I was just like, really, I felt like it was so far out to sea and I was just throwing life preservers to it constantly trying to be like, okay, I can see how you could, you know, like that video game scene. It's like Tilda Swinton makes him sit out in the forest to confront to get the map back from these people that he's like they've arrived near the island and they're gonna come on board so then he goes into his like apocalypse now video game stuff and it's like it's so such a bizarre choice and i think it is supposed to be like this kid he claims that he's about like new experiences and like finding like some kind of truth or like authenticity through this like uh, this tourism but he's just like like this empty like 90s he's a fraud right like Like, he's the biggest fraud in this whole thing and it's like the whole movie i think shows like like him thinking he's like you ruined this whole thing like you got people killed for being a cocky asshole you know, nobody would have gone to this island if you wouldn't have done your dumb map shit to like show off how fucking cool you were. You made you did a whole howl from picnic thing mm-hmm. about a shark attack, yeah, that fake story where you like looked a shark in the eye or whatever, whatever, and then like someone fucking went out and they two people died from a shark attack, like, and you didn't do anything to help. Like it's just sort of like this dipshit, like, uh, you know, I'm a traveling dude and I know more about blah blah, and it's like no, you like went into a place you shouldn't have gone to but then, yeah, and you ruined it for everybody. Well, and that's funny too with the as the production of this movie apparently to make the beach more scenic they like bulldozed. Oh my god. Yeah, and Oh my god. And the, the locals god. were really pissed off yeah, and actually yeah. sued. destroyed. <laughs> they like really which to wow. me is a very interesting context for this movie and I think yeah. I oh I agree god. like his character is that empty world traveler who doesn't know shit about how the world actually works and you're getting other people hurting you're destroying nature like i i think that's what the because i know it's based on a book by alex garland yeah interesting enough who we all like ex machina and man and and people really really like the book i've never read it but i do from what i'm read with the synopsis and what the book's about it is exactly about that but the movie so, never really goes for the jugular. It on doesn't. Him. Yeah. yeah. That, and that's where it he, really falls he flat. He kind of grows a little bit, but in a way that's not convincing. Like, yeah. He goes back on a supply run from the beach and he sees how gross the Americans are that he was earlier. And in my mind, the movie is kind of backing him up that he's like more enlightened than these people that are like two weeks behind him on the beach adventure. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, no, he's not. He's the same guy. No. And then at the end, there's that wistful denouement at the cafe. Yes. The internet I cafe hate- ending. Like he did yeah. not get punished for being an asshole. And I hated that where I'm like, I don't want him to. But you know, side. you could maybe take that as like intentional. Like these kind of guys, these white guys from America that go and travel abroad, there are no consequences. They get to go 
behave badly. They feel like they learned a lesson and then they get to go home and show pictures of where they went and they had these experiences. So I don't know. It could be like a very cynic, but I'm saying that, but the movie does not make that clear. The tone is not sinister at the end. No, it's not. Yeah. So the going back scene, I had the same thought and my life preserver that I threw was like, Basically, what these people are doing on the island is just a different version of the American tourism in Bangkok. Like, they're still, like, using, like, they, it is not their community. They're using this island as their personal utopia and and kind of closing themselves off to any, like, violence or ugliness that allows them to live there. Like, part of the reason that nobody else comes there is because there's this there are these drug lords on the island that like kill everybody else, you know? So it's like, he thinks, Oh, I'm so much better than that. But he's just like taking advantage of the land in a, in actually like an even grosser way. And then, yeah, I had the exact same thought about the ending. Like I could get on board with it if it's just like, ah, yes, this was a memory that I can file away and like reminisce about occasionally and like ignoring the ramifications of everything that happened, but the movie ends in like this very uplifting way. Like the score is lovely. It like fades away into white and it, it really like didn't sit well with me. The sinister version of this is infinity pool. Yes. Yeah. People like running around just treating these people's lives as like a playground with no consequence. And the movie's like critical of them for it. Yeah, exactly. This one, I, I feel like it's take was more, it felt like it was coming from the perspective of the college dorm room bro where it felt like you know that thing where you're young and like you're stoned all the time (laughs) and like (laughs) marijuana makes things seem more significant than they are yeah yeah like i feel like the movie actually believed the philosophy a little bit and maybe the source text is more critical than i think it is yeah i think it is that's what i was kind of interesting to read it yeah the way i saw it though is the the drug lords were like the victims in this and like the bad guys were the cult commune. Like, cause they're the ones like these people were nice enough to be like, okay, you guys can stay here where it's like, you have no business in Thailand, period. You have no business taking over an Island that, that has nothing to do with you, but they're like nice enough to give you this space and you keep putting these people at risk. And one of the drug lords were like, I have a family to feed and this is what I'm going to do. And y'all are fucking it up. So like, yeah, shoot them all. Yeah. And I <laughs> Get think them off that, the island. that was showing the equivalence of like the exactly like, you know, just in Bangkok, you can we're allowing you to come here. And then like, basically, this is going to become another version of Bangkok. Like yeah. you can't yeah. exist here because you don't actually understand that this is a limited resource. As a side note, I've seen this movie two and a half times oh my now. god i'm so sorry <laughs> well so hey, me too. and i was trying to remember i was like when when we first started i was like oh yeah I, I saw this at my grandma's cabin and then we were watching it i was like that can't possibly my grandma can't have had this movie on vhs and then i texted my sister and we did indeed watch it at my grandma's house wow. so i don't know why she had this movie classic grandma cabin movie <laughs> that's awesome yeah it was it's good stuff as far as like a summer like sweaty movie, it it's definitely like what if every day you were just on the beach right. sweating it out totally. with your white nope. boy dreadlocks and your acoustic guitar, just like nightmare sand Night- your toes. Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Total I nightmare. I want to be there. <laughs> yeah, it it really reminded me of like 
college weed culture. Yeah. Which is not interesting to me, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I lived it enough. Yeah, yeah. And all, and also, like, if you're not going to be critical of that, right? Yeah. then, yeah, what are we doing here? I think there was criticism there, but I don't think it was clear enough. enough. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, th- I think it yeah. was very ambivalent. Like, I think if they had doubled down on and really emphasized that, then I would, like, love this movie. Yeah, I, I didn't hate it. I thought it was a interesting misfire that could have been so much better and those movies are always very frustrating right for me like you had something good you had a good star a good director but just a whole lot of mess this has been a curio i've been like wanting to see for a long time yeah. My curiosity has been satisfied <laughs> i don't think i'll be revisiting it satisfied and disappointed uh, so the film that I picked, um, we're going from Bangkok to Italy. I chose Call Me By Your Name, which was directed by Luca Guadagnino. Uh, it was released in 2017. I had never seen this movie. This is another, just like her, it's like, I feel like a movie that everybody has watched and I just kind of never got around to it. It's based on a novel by the same name. It's set in Italy in 1983. It is um, set at this uh, kind of French, Italian, American, wealth, kind of wealthy academic families villa in Italy. They're there for the summer. The lead is Elio, played by Timothy Chalamet, who's just very cute in this movie. Um, his father's an archaeologist. His mother, I'm not sure what the mother does but she's like very educated they speak like italian and french and english kind of i think it's like northern italy there's a lot of french italian yeah so um his father who's played by michael um stolberg is an archaeologist and he has a like master's or kind of like postdoc student there for six weeks this is like a regular like position that he has and that man is played by Army Hammer, Oliver, who's 24, who does not look 24 in this movie. And Elio and Oliver kind of start to form this relationship. It's like, I don't know, in, in the beginnings, they're really like kind of flirting, feeling each other out. There's some like, like a little bit of uh, approach and rejection, but they're both very interested in each other. and. Elio becomes more kind of sexually adventurous in general. There is a girl who's kind of a childhood friend who's in love with him and he like starts a relationship with her, but he begins to pursue Oliver in a way that is like, I I thought it was like very elegant and like quiet. A lot of like, like inference conversations that where they're communicating clearly with each other, but there are no outward requests or, you know, it's all very under the surface. And then eventually they like consummate and then they kind of like live out the rest of their relationship for the six week period. So I know this, this movie is somewhat controversial. I know it's like very steamy. Um, I thought it was really, I mean, it's it's just gorgeous. Like talking about summer movies, it's like the Italian greenery, like sunlight dappling, like these beautiful like fruit orchards and like 
just kind of like yeah. washing over like lots of linen shorts like big yeah like shirts you know lots of scenes by the pool like dancing at this club at night and like with with these kind of bright neon lights it like evokes all of your senses yeah like, you could smell sensual. it you could feel it you can see it like yeah. everything and the relationship like Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, I think they have fantastic chemistry together. It's like a little, like very physical, but also like flirtatious and playful and like and sensitive. And I don't, there's, you know, like the infamous peach scene, which I thought, you know, we were talking about this like frenzied outbursts of sexuality in the summer. Like, I think that that is a perfect encapsulation of that. But I'd never seen it before. I really liked it. I thought it was a great summer movie. I still feel conflicted about the relationship. Really? I mean, I think just because... (sighs) Is this because of the presence on the screen of like how... I don't know, because I I did like read the book and it just seems like if you're like 17, approaching 18, and there's like a 24-year-old guy, like... I don't know. Yeah, but I think that I did not know that Army Hammer looks like he's thirty. Yeah, yeah Army I Hammer didn't... looks like he's thirty. Yeah, right. And I, I get that he's twenty something <laughs> in the book. And I think, like, I didn't feel conflicted watching the movie, but I, th- I still have a hard time with being okay with their relationship, yeah. and then finding like being uncomfortable with a similar relationship with like a heterosexual couple with a young girl and i understand that it's a different situation because it's like like being gay in the early 80s like you just can't fucking find it's hard to find people yeah you know like no matter how old you are and i also know that that is like a very common like it's common to be a young gay man and have a relationship with an older guy yeah, the you know? pool of people you can have yeah, sex with is much so, smaller so limited. and there is a pretty classic like twink older yeah. brother dynamic that's playing out here that's like i don't want to use the word ethical but like it's common and yeah, human it, like it, it, <laughs> right it is like an experience that a lot of people have had and a lot of people have had without like any regrets and right? it, it feels autobiographical like i don't know if the book is autobiographical but it felt like very lived in like this yeah happens it's just like he is obvious. Timothy Chalamet is obviously like naive, and this is his first time like doing this. And Army Hammer's character is obviously more experienced, and he's yeah. like playing these games with him. And like, I don't know. I just something about that I I didn't like. It's not like really the age necessarily. It's the experience and the power. Yeah, he's like kind of a dick to it, like. And he's got, and he's know he's gonna break this kid's heart, but he does it anyway. And then you know the parents. I don't think that's a problem. It's like it's going to be a temporary tryst, no matter what. Like there's no way this will last, and like that's the only tragedy of the movie. Yeah, which is kind of refreshing in a yeah in a world where like most gay movies made with like movie stars are these like tragic tales, like Brokeback right. Mountain yeah. and uh, Boys Don't Cry, where it's like. Someone's gonna fucking die at the end of the movie. And <laughs> right. that's, like that's the whole point of it. It's like the tragic gay figure, and this one's tragic in a different way. It's just like this can't last because it's for the summer. Yeah, that's like a refreshing like deflation of emotion for me. Where it's like it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I, but it yeah. is t- for Timothy Chalamet. Like it's a big deal. And when Your emotions Armie are Amber- big at that age, yeah. Right. Yeah, but when he calls him at the end and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm getting married," it's like, well, that was super shitty. Dude. Like. You Don't had your fun with this 17-year-old, and then 
you can fuck off and go get married and you like broke this kid's heart. That's the only thing that bothered me. But it's like this, the way I I always saw it is like Oliver's character allowed him to explore like his sexuality and have the ability to, to do that where, you know, he's sort of sleeping with the girl and him at the same time. And I think he's having pleasure from both. Yeah. yeah. And it's fine. And like the fact that it's not, like he has this supportive father. Like that was my favorite part of this movie. I was dad sort of like, I'm glad you're doing this. Like, I wish I could have and his done dad, more of this. His dad knows it's a temporary experience. Exactly. And it's like both the mother and father know that. And they, they, they mm-hmm. make these like little like looks <laughs> at each other. Like, okay, they're, they're banging. Let him do this. He's going to go away. That's <laughs> but fine. The whole, like we're going to let our 17 year old go off with this guy for three days to, have fun and explore and then he gets back and the father is essentially like yeah you know that it was really special what you had mm-hmm. and that pain that you're feeling like that's good because it's good to feel something instead of and it's true but it's like you shipped your i'm not gonna ship my 17 year old son off with a much older man because it like army hammer looks 30 i, I know in the book he's I 25 know. to like ship him off for three days to frolic like I don't know. Something about that bothered me. <laughs> that conversation with the father at the end, I thought was weird. That was a weird. You see, combo. I, I cried for it. <laughs> I really? thought it was so heartfelt. Where I was like, I cried when I was like, yeah, I think, like, not for that, but like when Timothy Chalamet is like just looking into the fire with and, the Sufjan Stevens playing in the background. Well, <laughs> I did, Sufjan I, Stevens is I a major problem. Yeah, yeah I, that's I, a big problem Sufjan. for me. I fucking hate the two needle drops with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so bad it takes you so out of the setting yeah. have you ever yeah. been a fan i've never i don't got, like him. i've never gotten it but it's not even that because like in the suspiria remake that luca guadagnino made after this he also uses tom york's voice on the soundtrack <laughs> and it's completely distracting oh, in the same yeah. way oh, really? yeah it's like a bad fit for the material i don't mind sufjan stevens but everything else was so subdued and like uh, there was so much innuendo and like like communication through body language and then it's like you know, and then these he, Timothy Chalamet's playing piano, he's playing guitar, like all this great classical music yeah. in the background. And then, like, Sufjan Stevens, <laughs> like, I know I loved you from the moment I saw oh you. Like, like, why can't we just no. have some more classical music? Right, yeah, no. just, just maybe you could play this song without any Sufjan <laughs> Stevens singing. The like, lyrics are so, like, yeah. On the nose. So, <laughs> I just I'm, couldn't do Oscar it. nominated, by I the way. I saw this Don't in get out of here. twice with like one of my best friends. And we're both like, we cried each time the Sufjan Stevens song <laughs> oh, happened. No. And like watching it again now, I'm like, God, I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say we got the best version of this. We're like, to me, the beauty of it is that it's temporary. And like this yeah. kid has his whole life ahead of yeah. him. And we'll have a bunch of different experiences kind of like the speech he gives in lady bird where he's like oh you're gonna have so much worse sex after this like yeah virginity yeah. Experience you just had. <laughs> so the plan though was to have a sequel where they meet again in the future yes. and travel the world and then army hammer was hashtag canceled yeah. so like that never happened now we can't watch them bang it out throughout yeah. the world and then instead uh luca guadagnino made a uh cannibal movie starring timothy chalamet which is a very funny troll uh based <laughs> yeah. on like what the army yeah. hammer allegations were because they're pretty outlandish <laughs> but i like that that didn't happen because i think it's really i think the the linchpin of the movie emotionally is like this is temporary it's for a summer it's seasonal yeah and like 
the pleasure is worth the pain. And like, you know, it might hurt a lot now and you're going to cry over the fire where while Sufjan Stevens asks, is it a video a bunch of times? <laughs> but you learned a lot you'll and you'll it. reflect yeah. back yeah. years from now and go, yeah, it yeah. was a beautiful time. I think there's a sequel to the novel. So that's probably, yeah. I wonder if that's what they were just going to make. But I think probably. that this story is kind of like perfect where it ended. Like it, d- it didn't need to extend any farther. There's nothing there to me. Like, yeah. this is not a grand life burning to the ground romance like it's not gonna haunt him i don't think the way that maybe you're supposed to feel to me it's just like yeah a beautiful brief moment and a yeah. hot summer fling yeah enjoy enjoy it in the moment it was yeah. very like the way it's presented is it's very like this is we're doing it in the moment we're living our best lives now and we don't give a shit about like what the future holds yeah it's kind of great i have to there was one scene in this movie that i th- I, first of all, I really liked the peach scene. I thought that was great. I was disappointed. Oh, really? Like, well, in the novel, he eats the peach. Eat right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and to me, the movie holds back on their sexual stuff a lot. Like, yeah. yeah. The nudity is all boobs, no penis. Yeah. Uh, when they have sex, finally, the camera pans away to the window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He pretends to eat the peach, but doesn't actually right. bite into it. It's like, come on, give me something. <laughs> give, me, give me the real stuff. <laughs> we want the extended scene. But yeah. the scene where they first kind of where Timothy Chalamet communicates overtly for the first time that he wants to like have sex with Oliver. Like they're in this park and they're around this world war one memorial. And they're like, Timothy Chalamet is just, he's extremely well educated, like very intelligent and army is like, Oh, you know, is there anything you don't know? And he's like, well, there's, you know, a lot of important things that I don't know. And it, and then it becomes clear that he's talking, he like, I want to have sex with a man, you. And they're like walking around this memorial on opposite sides. So they're as far away from each other as they can possibly be. But the way that the they're f- set in the frame, it's like they're right on top of each other. Like you see Timothy Chalamet and then Army Hammer is on the opposite side, but it's like he's they're so close together. And it was like they both understand what they're saying, but and there's this distance because it feels like th- this is something that we can't do, but there there is also this like unbearable like tension and like a need to be close. And it was I thought that was such a beautiful like visual communication of that feeling and it was just like like I thought that was a perfect scene yeah that's a great that that is like probably the best one of the best scenes in the movie but like for me with any movie like this and it's like for anything romantic or erotic like the build-up the tension the little glances the touches the flirtations like that's the stuff i find truly erotic and in this movie when it starts you know when they consummate and now we're getting into like coming into peaches and big slurpy blowjobs and and like having sex but not really even showing the sex i it just like kind of it didn't lose me after the consummation but i really loved the first the half mm-hmm. where it's just like real summer vibes hanging out at the pool looking at somebody's body rubbing their shoulder like that shit i find truly erotic and sexy do you know it's like the dirtiest part of this movie is uh when he's masturbating with the other guy's 
bathing suit yes. over his face. Yeah, oh my God, so that's yeah. kinky. That, uh, yeah, and yeah. just kind of like thrusting forward. I was <laughs> inhaling his ball smell. <laughs> I feel like I held my my breath was held for ninety percent of this movie, just like in shot. I don't know. Yeah, I found. Really I, yeah, again, I found that very sexy. Yeah, yeah. more sexy than like the blowjob stuff or the actual. I mean, they do have good sexual chemistry. Yeah. But I wish the movie went a little further. Like I felt a little let down because the whole point of the movie is this kind of hedonism where it's like the attraction to the older guy is that he's so brash and confident. Yeah. Elio is a shut in who doesn't leave the house. He just reads and writes music and like he's shy. And you have this big American asshole comes in, drinks the entire glass of apricot juice in one gulp and like (laughs) just does whatever he feels like. And I think the movie's celebrating that hedonistic approach to life. We're like, drink it all, drink it in, yeah. pluck a book off the tower of books and go read it on the porch. Like do whatever the fuck you feel like, go for a swim. And like, that is the romance of summer is like something we don't really get now that we have jobs and aren't in academia and don't have two months off in a row because we don't live and in Europe. And aren't fabulously wealthy. Right. Like these yeah. People are. So <laughs> we don't, we don't fully get this, but the idea and promise of it is just like two months of just straight leisure. It's too hot to actually work or do Could anything. You imagine? So Timothy Chalamet is just like jerking off in bed in the middle of the day. You <laughs> On know, that dirty mattress. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's, he's doing his full Gross. baby doll routine where he's just yeah. like in his underwear. That's his crib. <laughs> and <laughs> the movie, I feel like, pulls back on that a little bit when it comes to the sex. It's like it doesn't fully indulge in the sex. I wanted pubes. Yeah. Just a something. little bit of pubes. Yeah. Yeah. Like something. Right. I saw lady pubes. I didn't yeah. See any, right. It's any, like if we can yeah. see like a, a peach that has some semen in it, like give me some like upper crotch or, right. yeah. you know, a butthole. A ball, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a few. Just one. <laughs> But I will say the the summer vibes are very strong oh, yeah. here. Like maybe more so than the other films. Yeah, this is extremely at least, summery. At least it like in, as far as just making it sensually pleasant. Like yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I actually do like it when it's hot outside. Yeah. Uh, I right. prefer this sort of like oppressive heat than the rigid shut-in vibes of like winter. Yeah. Like I'd much rather be sweaty and lazy and Well, and it helps this felt like a heat with a breeze you yeah. know it's like a pl- like, like what a pleasant degrees. summer right this was not like humid mm-hmm. like it's 110 degrees outside but yeah it's like this movie is just purely pleasurable yes good stuff i love this movie this mm-hmm. was like i think my favorite for 2017 when we did our list yeah you used to write Reviews to the website yeah. when this came out. You had a five-star review up I there. fucking love Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like very... I was obsessed with this movie. And then I'm like, I need to read all these books. And <laughs> buy a Sufjan Stevens album. <laughs> it changed me, but I think I changed back a little bit. I don't dislike him. I don't really care about him. I just don't get yeah. it. It was a weird intrusion on this, you know, 80s <laughs> setting. To me, this is like... My overall feeling with this movie was like... It was very good... And it could have been like great if it wasn't for like a couple of little yeah. touches. Th- touches like the sub, and you've already touched on the sex or the su- soup John Stevens, even a biz- bizarre thing in the. I don't know if y'all noticed in the last scene, the fly. It's yeah, on there's the a lens. fly on the lens, <laughs> weird. which is yeah, no, it's just like weird little. Um, and there was a couple other little weird. Like I thought the father's speech, like the first two minutes of it, was very bizarre. Um, but I don't know with those little things. But overall, great summer vibes, and those two are 
very hot together. Yeah. Those two so dance European. scenes to the psychedelic furs are both excellent uh, as well. Yeah. Like, I know that Army Hammer's a creep, but he was so right. fucking good in this movie. And he looks so hot with the psychedelic furs, like slow motion shit. Yeah. God, he's got those big, like, 80s dress shirts on. and Just loose. Yeah. Yeah. And Army Hammer's Great body. Hot. Too bad he's a cannibal. Too bad he yeah. sucks. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We shouldn't end every podcast like that. <laughs> Too, <laughs> Too bad, bad blank is a cannibal. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, and everybody remember Army Hammer. If he was a, is cannibal a cannibal in this movie, I would take a totally different but turn. He almost ate Timothy Chalamet's cum. That's, so. that's, that's start. That's pretty true. close. Got a taste. <laughs> start with semen. <laughs> there will be more semen talk in our next episode. Uh, I made everyone watch this movie called Demon Lover on Criterion Channel. Oh. By Olivier yeah. Asias. That's on the AI Criterion channel thing too, right? I think it is. I love it. It's really good. <laughs> okay. It's got a Videodrome vibe, but it's not body horror. It's more like corporate espionage. Uh-huh. And instead of cable pornography, it's um, internet hentai. Oh, I <laughs> mean, really I'm movie. there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was my pick. Demon Lover next episode. I'm sure we'll talk about the heat more as the summer bleeds into fall, which is also unbearably hot it's here. It's never going to end. Yeah. I have loved you for the last time. Is it a video? Is it a video? I have touched you for the last time. Is it a video?